This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're going to continue this morning to look at the important topic of Christian education. Christian ed, as a movement, has struggled across our nation. The proof isn't so much in the fact that Christian schools and colleges are diminishing in their numbers and some, in fact many, have closed. It's seen in the reality that many homes, churches, and institutions are failing to prepare young people to serve God with their lives and to stand in this present age. I think that's the real failure. As I shared two weeks ago, according to Steve Henderson, president of Christian Counseling, or Consulting, rather, for Colleges and Ministries, approximately 400,000 Christian high school seniors each year could qualify for admission to a Christian college. Think about what God could do with that army if it was yielded to Him. However, the number that actually goes into a Christian school is only about 15%, 65,000, that attend any kind of Christian college. Now, why? Well, many in the upcoming generation are driven to serve themselves and not Christ. In fact, they can show up to church occasionally. They can say the right things. But are they really driven to serve the Lord? But don't think that they aren't going to college. They are. Most acknowledge that some higher education is needed for a successful career path. Yet many are choosing colleges and universities that are doing further damage to whatever faith they had when they left home. Henderson discovered in his research that, quote, most of the change in students' attitudes and behaviors take place during the first year that they are away from home, end quote. That first year. Those attending public versus independent Protestant institutions, so the secular schools, the state colleges, and so on, statistically, they experience nearly four times the drop in church attendance and 15 times the drop in overall spirituality. It has a devastating effect. Well, what about secular private institutions? Well, I'll go to a private school. Well, here's what he found. Quote, students who choose to attend a non-affiliated independent institution, and in that he included... Secular private, Presbyterian, and Catholic affiliated institutions appear to experience the largest decline in overall religious commitment. Hmm. When Henderson surveyed 16,000 students from 133 different institutions, he discovered that, quote, more than 52% of incoming freshmen who identify themselves as born again 
upon entering a public university will either no longer identify themselves as born again four years later, or even if they still do so, claim that identification, will not have attended any religious service in over a year. End quote. By the way, what you believe, you do practice. In fact, what you practice is what you do believe. So again, what does all this prove? Well, it proves that professing Christian youth out of our churches are following what is in their hearts. And it doesn't lead to being foot soldiers for Jesus Christ. Therefore, getting more Bible training in a place that also requires good discipline is not on their minds. Now, let me just pause for a moment and say, I believe that we are seeing a different kind of young person here at Good News. In fact, of all of our seniors this past year, every one of them went to a solid Bible college, at least for their first year. Praise God for you families. Praise God for church, a church that's praying for them and directing them and encouraging them that way. But overall, we've got a serious problem with the youth in churches like this one. By the way, we could have that problem with some youth in this church. Sadly, governing concerns and their decision-making do not align with what God has said in His Word. Young people and their parents should be asking, why are we really considering this school? We should ask, what is really determining our educational choices? We should ask, is that place really going to train my young adult to serve Christ? Really? And then here's another question to ask. Is that really where I want them to find their future mate? Now again, there's no perfect school and no perfect student body. And whatever is in their heart when they go to that institution, they're going to find people like them. And that can be a good influence or a negative one. As I stated in the previous message, many, not all, but many teenagers are still children in some ways when they leave for college. And I use my own example. Pretty embarrassed about what I was as a freshman, but grateful for what God had done in this life when I got ready to graduate. Big difference. And I credit that to Christ. In this sense, our young people are still moving from what Henderson calls an imposed faith, where they're made to do right, to an owned faith, where they choose to do right for the right reasons. So Christians today must understand that true Christian education that succeeds for God happens when the church, the home, and the Christian institution is all focused on working together to produce young people that have an own faith before they leave home. This is going to cost us something. 
it will require more than our money. Praise God for you parents that are sacrificing to help your children get a good Christian education. But don't think for a moment that you can pay somebody else to do your job. Doesn't work that way. The cost of Christian education is simply this. It's your commitment to Christ to train the next generation for Christ. That's the true cost. And that means adjusting priorities, schedules, all kinds of things. Even the way you do spend your money so that you're, you're praying and asking God to use you to get to their hearts so it's their faith, not just what you've taught them about faith. So let's examine what I've entitled this morning, this message, The Needed Focus of Christian Ed. The Needed Focus of Christian Education. And realize that it will cost you more than dollars. The real cost is worth it, though, as we prepare ambassadors of Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look down at verse 20. Now, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Let's just pause for a moment. Do you see any age qualification there? Yes or no? No. We are ambassadors for Christ. Young people, older people, real old people, okay? We're all ambassadors. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead for his sake, in other words, be reconciled to God. Robertson in his word pictures gives this meaning of the text. He says this, it means to get reconciled to God and do it now. This is the ambassador's message as he bears it to men from God. We are citizens of another kingdom, but the king has left us here. It would be easier for him, and we'd all prefer to be in the kingdom now, but he's got us here to be ambassadors of Christ, to represent the kingdom to others. And what is our message to others? Be reconciled to God. And by the way, don't wait. Do it now. If you have never repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are taking the biggest risk in the world by waiting on that decision or doubting that decision or looking for hope somewhere else. Right now, be reconciled to God. Amen. And it simply means coming to Him in humble faith and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's why you sent your son to die on the cross to pay my sin debt. Lord Jesus, you accomplished everything on the cross to pay my sin. You became my sin. You took the penalty, which is death, and you died. And you said, it is finished. Nothing else needs to happen. And then three days later, you rose from the grave. You conquered sin. You conquered death. And if I'll simply put my faith in you, you say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. saved. He wants to save you today. 
But do it today because you don't know that you have tomorrow. Say, well, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot of things. I've had near-death experiences. I'm still here. That's just God's grace reminding you now is the day of salvation. But the messenger of God must be reconciled and be at peace with God before he or she can share the peace of God with others. So what then is the real cost of providing our young people, your young people, a real Christian education? Well, here's the real cost. Let me just give you two thoughts to ponder this morning. First of all, understand that each person and the church as a whole has the responsibility, have the responsibility to Christian educate our children. Okay? Each parent and the church, we have the responsibility to Christian educate our children. Now, let's just be practical for a moment. When do we do that? It's when we're together. So this morning, you who have prepared Sunday school lessons, those of you on Wednesday night who spend time with our children and our teens, it's when we're together that you have that opportunity to Christian educate them, to encourage them, find out how they're doing. And in the course of that conversation, God may lead you to share some Important truth that will settle here and make a difference. Also, you're going to pass these young people in the hallway. Now, most of the time, they're moving a whole lot faster than we are. But stop them. Ask them their name. Ask them how they're doing. Let them know that you care. And then just tell them, I'm going to pray that you will follow Jesus with your life. We all know, if we're paying attention, the public education in this country is a serious problem. Just like the media, it is a propaganda wing of the liberal left. It is also the breeding ground for America's paganism. When you read about new and strange things, it's very likely it's being taught in our schools and in our universities. Just recently, a parent told me that because of COVID, their children were home, and the training, of course, was happening online, and this parent, these parents were shocked by what their children were being taught. Shocked. And they wisely made some changes so that their children are no longer being taught that. Okay? It's pretty obvious, though, when, when the whole COVID thing started and public school teachers were complaining about having to do online training because parents might be listening in. What does that tell you? Okay. Again, our children are not their children. They're our children. They're God's children. But let's balance this out, if we may. Public education, for some, 
is the only choice. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, we have some precious families that have children with learning disabilities, and there, there is good help for specific learning disabilities, and the only place that they can really get what that child needs is public ed. There are unsafe parents who refuse Christian education for their children. Right? And so we have even seen here where some of those children, the only, only place they get to go to school is a public school, but the parents let them come to church. We had one situation where the parents wouldn't even let them come to church, but, but they had trusted Christ through the ministry here. And then once they got out of high school and were on their own, they completely gave, they had already given their heart to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. And in one situation, one of those dear young ladies is now a missionary's wife, sent out of our church, serving in another country. That's what God can do. But remember, be careful what you say because not everyone has a choice about public ed. There may be a custody situation where really this, this is going to be the option. But can God overcome that? Sure he can. Christian education starts with a focus on the part of parents and the church. It doesn't just involve the setting where the training takes place. Though the latter can impact dramatically and even undo the Christian educating that has happened. And so understand that each parent and the church as a whole has the responsibility to Christian educate their children. Secondly, God's people must be careful about opinions that favor one form of education over another. This has been something that's distracted even Christian parents about the main thing. You may have a preference about how to Christian educate kids, but Christian liberty allows other parents to do what they believe before the Lord is best. So every parent must seek God's will in their schooling choices and the special needs of a child, as well as the availability of a quality Christian school. All these things play a part in the decision. To say that one choice is better than another is to ignore the scripture and God's primary intent to use parents at home. The reality is you can choose an education option and then get so wrapped up in the extracurricular and everything happening with that education option that you guys are never home alone to be able to Christian educate. What does the Bible teach us about what God can do? Well, think about these examples. Last week we looked at the example of Daniel, remember? By the time he arrived in Babylon, he and his companions were already prepared. How do we know? Well, they said, we won't defile ourselves with the king's meat. Okay? They had to learn that at home. Joseph was probably homeschooled before he was sold into slavery. Say, was he? Well, I'm, I'm quite sure in Canaan he was being homeschooled. By the way, he was being homeschooled, I think, by a father who had learned the lessons the hard way with all the other boys. You remember that story? 
I mean, if, if boys could mess up, his brothers did it, and Joseph saw it, and, and dad learned from it. So when Joseph gets to Egypt, and he is tempted in the worst way, what's his response? How can I do this great evil and sin against God? He didn't pick that up in the caravan ride to Egypt. But he made tough, God-honoring choices that then resulted in making him a very capable prime minister. Amen? How about Moses? Well, he has secular training in the courts of Pharaoh. The Bible and history do tell us he was being prepared to be the next Pharaoh. By the way, when he killed that Egyptian taskmaster, he was already thinking like Pharaoh. But that wasn't God's plan for him. And later, based on what God taught him, and I believe what his parents taught him, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, being willing to suffer afflictions with the people of God, Hebrews eleven twenty four. Jewish history tells us that the Pharisees, who controlled the religious governmental scene in Jesus' day, required that every six-year-old boy attend a house of the book for a Jewish education. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Jesus probably sat at the feet of a rabbi in Nazareth. And what was he learning? Judaism. And yet we know that Jesus was committed to do the Father's will. And I believe that part of that, because he was all man, he learned at the feet of his father here on earth, Joseph, and his mother Mary. Not the agenda of the formal education training that he received. So, in all of these instances, the education varied, but they all point back to this reality Christian educating was happening at home, and it made a lifelong difference. Now, there are positives and negatives to some forms of education over others. However, the bottom line is this. Whatever the cost in effort, time, and sacrifice, we must help our children think scripturally, to learn continually, to speak effectively, and then to flesh out their Christianity practically, in every way. And that can only happen through a walk with God and an owned faith. And so let's look at the real components of Christian education. I've just stated them. We're going to see them quickly and then be done this morning. What are the real components? Well, here's the first one. Help them think biblically. Help them think biblically. All of us have the privilege to influence the children in our home and in our church by rightly dividing the word of truth. Go over, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, notice verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is this teaching? Well, that we are to carefully study 
the Word of God. Not just read it. Okay, I've had my daily bread, that one-page devotional, and I read one verse. Now, if you, if you do that and it's a blessing, that's fine, but that's, that snack can't be your main course every day. All right? It means to study carefully the Word of God so that you're able then to cut it straight, to accurately use it to help yourself and to help others. Different commentators use different examples of this. One of the, one of the examples they use is that of a road maker. Okay, now we get frustrated with road makers because they're always making roads, especially in Hampton Roads. Okay. Uh, but praise the Lord, a lot of those roads are straight and they get you where you need to go. Do you realize the science behind that? Somebody had to study so that the road would be approved to those who would be traveling on it. They would have to study and make sure that even what the bulldozer cut in the earth is straight and accurate. We get the picture, right? Growing up, my mother, like perhaps many of your mothers and grandmothers, made clothes. And I remember, remember those paper-thin patterns that they would cut out and then, and somehow, after cutting that out and sewing things together, it all fit. Why? Because someone was cutting it straight. And oh, by the way, I, I look out at a, a group of very well-dressed people today. Your sleeve isn't doing this, you know. It, it all seems to match and fit and be accurate. Why? Well, a lot of machines are doing it today, but it still has to be cut straight. There's your picture. Still has to be cut straight. We have to be able to take the Word of God and do that. So young people. It is completely legitimate when you make a choice for your parents to say, what were you thinking when you did that? What Bible truth did you bring to bear to help you cut that decision? Oh, mom, mom, do we have to have this talk right now? Yeah, it needs to happen right now. And you ought to be able to look your parent in the eye and say, well, here's what God has said and here's what I was thinking as I tried to apply that truth to this decision. Right now, if you're reading through your Bible, we're reading through the book of Proverbs. I love the wisdom in Proverbs. Do you know what Proverbs is trying to help you do? In every situation in life to take wisdom and to cut a right path. And oh, by the way, then it reminds you, if you don't cut a right path... There's injury, there's death, there's shame, and it goes, just, just read what Proverbs is saying. But if you cut a right path, there's blessing, there's honor, and we could go on. You need to think biblically. I need to think biblically. There is a way that seems right unto a man. But the ends thereof, if he's not thinking biblically, are the ways of death. So think biblically. 
Quite literally, the mind of the master must be master of your mind. Ultimately, young people, you will be unashamed or ashamed as a workman when you stand before Jesus. Mr. Norrell, would you come up here? Come on. All right, come on up here. Isn't it fun standing in front of all these people? Be honest. All right, not really. So now pray for your pastor every Sunday because I have to do this, what God's called me to do. All right, so, yeah, I'm standing up here. Hopefully, yeah, everything's in order because people are looking. I might be ashamed. Now think about someday, not this group of people, but a single audience with Jesus. You think about that day when you have a single audience with Jesus. And the only reason that you're in heaven is because you're a workman, because you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Now imagine this. You have the option of being ashamed. And I think when we see Jesus, it's, our heads are all going to be bowed. But imagine this. And a smile. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You can be seen. Now the only way that's going to happen is if he takes the word of God and with all of his life choices, he cuts it straight. It's the only way. It's the only way you're going to be ready to meet Jesus too. And that means you're going to have to tune out this world because they don't care. They don't care. Help them think biblically. Second, help them learn continually. If the Apostle Paul knew he hadn't arrived spiritually, Philippians 3.13, none of us should think we have. We must continue to study to show ourselves approved unto God to be a workman that's not ashamed. Parents and young people must understand that the need to learn in life never ends especially when it comes to spiritual things. If the researcher quoted earlier is right, and quote, most of the change in students' attitudes and behaviors take place during the first year away from home, end quote, then the first year away at college should be at a conservative, Bible-believing Christian college, and parents should not be afraid to require that. Well, I'm 18. So what? There are people that are 68 here that if they're walking with God will tell you, I still need to learn. Okay? 18 doesn't matter. Okay? And if your parents dictate that you spend one year getting Bible training before you train for everything else, God bless your parents. And you need to do that. If a Christian college does not have training in your particular career field, that training can be continued later, 
Even at a secular school, when maturity and adequate Bible training at college have had their effect on your life. Now, what is adequate? Well, parent, let God help you decide. But there is no reason to send a freshman student off to a state college and expose them to professors who have given their lives to indoctrinate impressionable minds and nepotism and humanism. No reason to do that. The longer I live, the more convinced I am that, that every young person needs a year of Bible training. I, I, just, I just do. Say, well, God has called me to be a plumber. No, he's called you to be a Christian plumber. And as you plumb or whatever, you're an ambassador of Christ. So, help them think biblically. Help them learn continually. Number three, help them speak effectively. When the Lord saved us, He left us on earth as ambassadors of Christ to help the world be reconciled to God. And that can only happen through the proclamation of the gospel. Teaching young people the proper use of their language. Helping them to do research and write reports. Say, parent, you, you, you young people may be thinking, Pastor, I thought you were for us. I am, all right? But you need to be able to think and write. Teach a Bible lesson. Be able to preach a message, okay? All that is important. Offer them a public speaking class. These are all important in developing their ability to clearly communicate with others, especially when it comes to evangelism and discipleship. Look at the prophets of the Old Testament. We get to read their divinely inspired writings. Do you know that some of those guys were shepherds? Amos. What about Elijah? Okay, he, well, he even dressed funny. Well, he could communicate truth, couldn't he? Of necessity, we must also take them into the harvest field ourselves so that they can watch and listen firsthand as parents and other Christian leaders give the gospel to needy souls. You know why I was convinced that the Lord could save souls? Not just because the Bible said so. I watched my dad do it. I watched people that he had led to the Lord come into our church and grow spiritually. It was real to me because I saw the reality in him. So help them speak effectively. Number four, help them flesh out their Christianity practically. As we close, would you turn to James chapter 1? James chapter 1. Help them flesh out their Christianity practically. Notice verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A lot of our young people are deceived because they're being trained by people who are deceived. 
we think it's okay to hear the word of God and not do it. We're deceived. But we're to be doers of the word, not just hearers. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Mirrors are intended to show you the truth so you can change. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. And by the way, it's the law of what? Uh, okay, it's the law of? It's the law of? Liberty. Yeah, but I have Christian parents and it's the law of restriction. I can't have any fun. No, no, no. It's the law of liberty. A lot of your peers, young people, who have been out there having fun have devastated lives that are full of scars. That's not liberty. No, it's the perfect law of liberty. And continueth therein, we already talked about that, right? He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be what? Blessed in his deed. God's trying to restrict my life. No, he's trying to bless it. Now, going back to that whole matter of communicating that we talked about, that's verse 26. If I'm a hearer of the word and a doer, it affects my communication. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. All right? So, young people, when you talk, you tell the adults in your life, by your communication, whether you're just a hearer or you're a hearer and a doer. All right? And praise God, I, I listen to our young people. I'm, I'm encouraged. Many of them are hearers and doers. You can just tell when they talk. But what you talk about tells us what's in your heart, and it tells us if God is in control of your heart. Just does. So communication. And then being a hearer and a doer means that I communicate as well, not just verbally, but through my actions to the needs of others. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 27. If any man among you seem to be Oh, pure religion and undefiled before God. And the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So I communicate through a pure life and a life of service that I'm a doer of the word, not just a hearer. So young people, you need to be serving. True Christianity puts action to what we say we believe. It serves others. It doesn't serve self. Now, you need to take care of yourself so that you are healthy and a right representative as an ambassador of Christ so you can go to others, but it's primarily serving others. You need to flesh out your Christianity practically, and that is part of Christian educating our children. So let's close. The needed focus of Christian education is understanding the true cost. 
Every adult Christian, starting with parents, Christian educating young people in the ways of God, and then focusing on the real components of Christian education. What are they? Teaching them to think biblically, to learn continually, to speak effectively, and then live it out practically in every choice that they make. That's the real cost. The question is, are you willing to pay that price? Well, I don't know. I'm pretty busy. You're too busy. Well, I've got a lot going on. Yeah, but it's your and it's not God's. We are to Christian educate our children. So the invitation today is this. Parents, grandparents, adults, will you commit yourself to this focus? I mean, really, really. We can complain about the direction of America, but are we Christian educating our, our children? Truly, are we doing that? And by the way, I'm concerned about America too. Our young people will never hold up in this America unless they're Christian educated. They just won't. So parents, grandparents, adults, are you committed to that? Will you pray for them in that way? And then young people, will you wisely commit yourself to follow those who are trying to Christian educate you? I mean, will you? Will you give your heart to it? You're never going to have a perfect teacher besides Jesus. Well, they're this, they're that. I don't think I want to listen. No, you don't want to listen because you don't want to listen to God. You need to listen. And then surrender your heart to the Lord, looking unto Jesus so that you're able to stand in this present age, having done all to stand. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the precious young lives we have here at Good News. And, and Lord, for young men, young ladies, who act like men and ladies. They really do, so many of them. They have a tender heart to be taught. They want to do right. They want to serve. And Lord, would you continue to do that work in their lives and bless them. Remind them that you're blessing them because they're willing to follow. And Lord, for any young person hearing my voice right now who is still committed to pleasing themselves, God, would you, would you open their eyes Help them see that the course that they're cutting for their life is extremely dangerous. Would you help them to surrender to you? Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.